सो वेन याकूब लाइक रियली क्वेश्चन मी आई ही क्वेश्चन मी दैट वाई डोंट यू डू समथिंग अबाउट दिस एंड माई फर्स्ट रिएक्शन वॉज बॉस है दिस इज इंडिया लाइक दिस इज दी गैंजेस हाउ कैन एनी वन डू एनी थिंग अबाउट इट आफ्टर दैट समथिंग चेंज एंड आई डिसाइडेड दैट आई वॉन्ट टू सॉल्व दिस प्रॉब्लम वेरी नेक्स्ट डे आई वेंट टू अ टेम्पल टू एक्चुअली सी whether the problem is real or it's just in my head and slowly and slowly i started realizing that no one is looking at temple waste as a source of pollution welcome to mindful businesses presented by sarani and i'm your host vidya ayer in our podcast we bring to you brands which are mindful in their practices and processes a mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social economic and environmental practices Today we have with us Ankit Agarwal, co-founder of Fool Co, made from temple flowers. Welcome Ankit. Hey Vidya, how are you? Great. It's fantastic to finally connect and have you on the show. Uh, same here. Thank you for your patience and thank you for me having me here. India is a home to about half a million Hindu temples, some almost 2000 years old. There are large temple complexes, two roadside shrines. Do these temples have a unique architecture and do they vary from region to region? About 80% of the Indian population is Hindus and Hindus go to temples to worship. In India there are as you correctly mentioned there are more than half a million temples and every temple is different. So there are more than a million gods in India that are worshipped according to the Hindu mythology. So we have like Lord Shiva who's the destroyer, Brahma who's the creator, then Vishnu who keeps everything running. Uh then there are female deities, then there are male deities, then there's the famous elephant god, the Lord Ganesha. Every temple has some speciality. Some temples are known for their architecture, for their splendor and for the faith. simply that if you go and pray in these temples your wish is fulfilled uh, like depending upon the region the culture the state every temple is different since sheer volume the number of hindus just sheer numbers mm-hmm. there are a lot of people going to these temples just for instance tirupati uh, is a temple in uh, southern india which has the highest footfall uh, in terms of uh, like numbers after the vatican city so you can imagine just imagine the scale and one of the major differences between most of the indian temples as against the hindu temples of say angkor wat or elsewhere in cambodia or the aztec or the inca temples in the americas is that these are still functioning temples they're not monuments they're not ruins they're not historic sites there are people who go pray every day offer uh they are flowers or whatever else they need to offer to the gods yes exactly so like the older the temple the more uh, famous it is and everyone wants to go to that temple even more so and according to like uh, the hindu customs uh, it's called char dham char dham means uh, these are four temples that any hindu must should visit in their lifetime and if you visit all these four temples then you get moksha or the like in the afterlife So who runs these temples and how are they funded So there are uh, some temples are run by the government some uh, and generally every temple has a managing committee or association so these temples are often run by the offerings that uh, the pilgrims or the like the visitors offer to the gods So there is no tight 
No, so uh, there's no tight, but there are some people who offer some portion of the earnings regularly to different temple in the belief that the uh, it's because of the gods that uh, the person is prospering. So th- it's completely voluntary. So whatever yes, money, yes, yes. whatever money the temples get, um, it's completely voluntary. It yes, is, you don't belong to a parish and you don't belong to a clergy, and you don't have to give back to belong and to go to that temple. Yes. That's pretty incredible that the temples are very rich and they are functioning completely on a voluntary basis. So typically, if I go to the temple, what would I do? Temples are like the epicenter of the Indian culture. So full of life, everyone goes to a temple. So some people go to a temple daily. Some people uh, visit the temples uh, on a weekly basis. Some when there's a religious ceremony or maybe there's a festival, but everyone does go to a temple. So these are, I would say, like the public place where everyone would go to. It's like a social outing. It's yes. It's it's a gathering place for people to meet. They go to the market and stop by the temple, run into their friends and then go home. Yes, yes, yes. If I go to the temple, I would offer flowers, offer incense sticks, offer money to the gods so now that also depends and it is completely voluntary for example some temples allow you to offer the offer your like offerings to the gods some temples don't so now uh, first of all the question is why do we offer uh, anything to the gods so there can be different emotions one is you want to thank god for something that has happened good in your life one is you want to request the gods that you want something to happen so you offer something and request the gods that please do this please do that for me third is so gods are essentially uh, like in the hindu mythology they are living beings whom we worship in the form of idols they actually have a, like their own life as we humans eat food we offer uh, offerings to the gods like for example food so that they can have their meal flowers so flowers are offered are the symbol of the pure purest form of nature good smell good look so that is why we offer flowers to our gods as a symbol of offering the best in mankind different gods like different kinds of offering as well are they typical flowers which are offered to the gods again this also depends so like for example some uh, the kali deity she likes the hibiscus flower then uh, the uh, the elephant god or the ganesha they like the flowers which are yellow in color so different gods have different liking for different flowers but generally the most common form of flowers offered to the gods are marigold roses and jasmine so like human beings have preferences of perfume the gods have their preferences and the devotees offer that so how many tons of flowers are thrown on an everyday basis after the prayers you can tell me nationwide or just on the holy river ganges okay so uh, first of all there is no like proper government data or any kind of surveys have been done in terms of how much flowers are uh, being dumped into the water bodies but uh, when we started uh, full.co we did a rough estimation and rough studies depending upon the number of big temples in the city and number of small temples and the volume of flowers being sold in the flower markets so we came down to a number of approximately 8 million tons of flowers are disposed and used in temples every year 
So we've had guests in the past and we always talked about plastics and the waterways, right? And mm -hmm. the small plastic bags or the microplastics. And with flowers, I would assume that it's all biodegradable and it wouldn't harm the environment. So what's the problem with flowers just going? They've in six months become part of the soil. What's the problem? So I would like to take you back like three years back. So I had this Czech friend, his name is Jakob. He had visited uh, me in my hometown, Kanpur, Uttar Pradesh. There are not many places that I can take someone to visit in my city. So I took him to the, to the guards of the river Ganges. And luckily, unluckily, <laughs> that day, uh, there was this festival known as Makar Sakranti, which is an Indian festival which marks like the welcoming of summers, the ending of winters. So the farmers are ready to like harvest the produce. So everyone takes a dip in the river Ganges. Uh, my friend uh, Jakub and I sat on the ghats for about an hour and he started counting. He counted around 147 people. Uh, including women and small children, taking a dip in the river Ganges. And the water was so dirty that we didn't even want to like touch it. And there these people were like taking dips and doing Surya Namaskars. And Kuba, like Yakub and I, we broke into a conversation of why are they doing this? And I started explaining him the importance of the uh, river Ganges in the Hindu mythology and that the river is a goddess and everything. And he started questioning me, if this river is so like religious, why is it so polluted? And I told him about fecal sludge and waste from tanneries, plastic waste, XYZ. And the moment I said this, a nearby temple dumped in uh, truckloads of flowers into the water. And what happened was all the pesticides and the oils that were used to grow these flowers, that got separated and it formed a film on the surface of the water. And light started refracting through it. And I was like, wow, I have been seeing temple waste being dumped into the waters like all my life. Everyone does it. My parents do it. My grandparents used to do it. But never ever have I questioned this practice. And we, we don't realize that temple waste is also a source of pollution. It is not because of the flowers, but the just the sheer volume of flowers that go into the water. The practice of dumping flowers was good at that point in time when the volume of flowers was low. But now, as the Indian population is growing and all the farm runoff, all the pesticides, insecticides, these mix with the river water, making it highly toxic. Like studies have shown these link these pesticides to like dysentery, cholera, hepatitis, which are the leading causes of child mortality across India and Bangladesh. And what happens is these pesticides like leach into the groundwater, causing irreversible damage. I've been on the guards of the Ganges and yes, it actually shocks me. A river so revered, so important to India and Indians and Hindus is completely disregarded. It is not taken care of. But there are some initiatives now, like yours and government initiated, which are hopefully trying to reverse some of the damage that has been done to the waterways. How do you collect these flowers? Like, do you have to go and contact the temples and do you pick them or do they bring it to your factory? How does the whole supply chain of your raw material work? Okay, so now what has happened, like we have a proper supply chain set up where our vehicles go to temples on a daily basis, depending upon their size and the day of the week it is. Uh, reason being, different gods are uh, worshipped on different days according to the religious customs. 
So for example, the elephant god is worshipped more on a Tuesday, while uh, Lord Shiva is worshipped more on a Monday. Every day of the week is devoted to a different god. So depending upon the day of the week and the size of the temple, our vehicles go to collect these flowers on a daily basis. So currently, we have operations in two cities. One is Kanpur, Uttar Pradesh and second is Tirupati. In Kanpur, we collect around 3.4 tons of flowers now every day. So once these flowers are collected, these are brought to our facility where firstly, all the milk packets, all the plastic all the paper, all the garland threads are uh, segregated or weeded out from the flowers. Then these flowers are separated depending upon their species and their condition. So if the flowers have a lot of water in them uh, and if they are all like begin to rot, then they are set aside. Now the flowers which are okay like in their condition, these are segregated depending upon their species. Marigolds are separated with marigolds, rose with rose, jasmine with jasmine. After that, these flowers are hand plugged and their petals are separated. Then these flowers are sun-dried. All the petals are sun-dried. After drying, what happens? About 90% of the moisture in the flowers is lost. Then to the dried flowers, we add our own pesticide bioculum to offset all the pesticides that were present in them. Post that, these flowers are washed properly, ground and converted into a dough. And that dough is used to make incense sticks and incense cones. Do you add anything to the dough? Uh, we add like, for example, uh, like ghee, uh, which is clarified butter sometimes. And once these incense are made, they are dipped into natural essential oils. So, for example, we uh, source the orange essential oils from the farmers in Maharashtra. We don't have a sandalwood incense sticks. The reason being, the sandalwood oil will cost us more than $10,000 per liter, like the real uh, sandalwood oil. And that's not technically or economically viable. So, we uh, make incense of oils which are locally available and are reasonable. For example, jasmine, we have a loban incense, we have a Indian rose, uh, then we have oranges, we have a eucalyptus incense. So all these incense are like hand-dipped into natural essential oils. And who does the sorting? Who does all this collection? So uh, that's the closest piece of my work to my heart. So all of this work is being done by women who were earlier manual scavengers. So manual scavengers are people who jump neck deep into clock sievers and scrape human feces from dry toilets. And it's a very taboo subject. People don't even want to talk about it. And the saddest part is that more than half of the Indian population does not even know that there are dry toilets or manual scavenging still exists. As a mission and vision of what we do, we currently employ around 123 women full-time, whom we not only help with uh, like financial livelihoods, but with a life of dignity and respect. So we help them with like health insurances, retirement benefits. We even have a busing service for them. How did he know how to make an incense or in Hindi, it's called Agarbati? Um, I did want to plug in, uh, your company is Fool Co. It's P-H-O-O-L Co. So how did you know how to make the incense stick? Did you have a background in any of these things? Did your family do it? First of all, uh, when the day with my friend Jakob happened, at that point in time, I was working with Semantic Corporation as an automation scientist. And so when uh, Jakob like, really questioned me, and he questioned me that, why don't you do something about this? And my first reaction was, boss, have you like gone crazy? This is India. Like this is the Ganges. How can anyone do anything about it? After that, something changed. And I decided that I want to solve this problem. Very next day, I went to a temple to actually see 
whether the problem is real or it's just in my head and slowly and slowly i started realizing that no one is looking at temple waste as a source of pollution and there's no data around it no one has done anything from this before and the easiest thing was to like make vermicompost but i felt that vermicompost is not a very economically viable process so i started uh, researching on what could be done from uh, used temple flowers and we could start by making soaps or fragrances or something but my problem was that there might be certain religious backlash i had to have a solution which is okay according to the religious customs as well there's this line in the hindu aarti aarti is the popular songs uh, sung for the deities in the praise of the deities there's this line in hindi which says tera tujhko arpan that essentially means is what belongs to you we are offering it back to you i just picked up that line and started like working on the fragrance bit on the incense bit saying that these flowers which once belonged to the gods are now again being converted into incense sticks which are being used to worship something which belonged to the gods is going back to the gods just to avoid the religious backlash so flowers is synonymous to fragrance right so i uh, generally what happens is incense are made from charcoal i thought why not replace that charcoal with flowers with real flowers we became the first company in the world that started making incense from like real flowers from used temple waste uh, without any charcoal that is how this whole thing began and it was all uh, like hit and trial like i have like literally burnt my kitchen as well in doing experiments took a good one and a half years to like get the formulation right did you have resistance from the temples like it, they may say like why are you taking these flowers and then you have these women who are looked down upon who are actually touching them was there any uh, pushback from the temple in the beginning like i was around 26 27 years old when i started this and at that point of time yes people were very skeptical actually no one believed that uh, someone can fr- make out something from temple flowers and people thought that i was like really crazy and what will i even do with the flowers so but slowly and slowly when i became regular in picking up the flowers then the the temple started like even taking me seriously earlier they said oh it's might be like it's like he'll come for a day and then he'll go away but that i persisted that was one and second was so what i did was i started like showing the results in terms of taking the incense to the temple priest and distributing it for free showing the people asking them for feedback whether they like the product don't like the product and things like those uh, in terms of the women uh, what has happened is everyone loves the river ganges we respect it it's a goddess and we want to see it clean we want to see it swanky clean but we don't have the time or the to do anything for it right but when we see that the women currently like we employ are helping clean the ganges there's a perspective change that happens and we start seeing the same person from a different lens and the women their social status gets elevated to some extent not only do you benefit them financially and the insurance and the retirement benefits that you give them it elevates them in society which is i think a very important feature in equalizing human beings yes uh, 100% and actually uh, so let me give you an example there's this woman her, her name is prema and uh, she works with us so one day she started distributing sweets in the factory and i was like why are you wasting money on distributing sweets and she said bhaiya i want a refrigerator and i was like already you have like put money in uh, buying a refrigerator why are you like distributing sweets save money and she was like no i'm very happy today 
So she started narrating a story that when she was 19 years old, the place where she used to work, she asked the owners for uh, having some cold water, drinking some cold water, but they refused. And that day she had decided that at some point in time in her life, she would want to buy a refrigerator, but she couldn't just collect money for it somehow. 30 years later, after working with us for about a year, she was able to save enough money to buy a refrigerator. And not only that, her uh, neighbors, the so-called upper class neighbors, their children came and had water from a refrigerator. So she said that now my children are equal to their children and I can die peacefully. That is uh, the level of impact of the work that we do. That's a really powerful story. Thank you. What is your goal? How many women do you think you'll be able to help this way? The goal is to be able to employ 5,000 women full-time to have deep impact in their lives. And see, frankly, the change will not happen in this generation. The change will happen in the next generation. When the women we employ start sending their kids to school. Over there, the tag of or manual scavenging or anything those tags will be removed that is where the real change will happen and the what we've also done is like to really solve the problem and scale fast we have invested very heavily into r&d and we've been able to develop a material which behaves exactly like animal leather and is made from flowers so we call it feather that is something that we are currently working on we've recently raised our pre-series around and uh, we are also setting up two more units in the next three months. They'll be operational. Like We are inching towards the goal every day. So why was it important for you to work with women? There are men who do the scavenger jobs too. Why was it important to employ women? This, uh, the woman uh, thing became our uh, mission accidentally. What happened was when I just started, uh, when I would like get around 50 kgs of flour every day, three years back. So what used to happen was I would find it very hard someone to work on the like segregate the flowers. And the men I used to employ like from the community, what I found out they next day they, they wouldn't turn up or waste all their money on alcohol, be drunk and don't come. Like I'm not trying to generalize, but this is what happened to me. And rather, there was these two women who were very happy to work. And like, they were never bunk, very sincere. And one day I asked them, like, what do you like so much? You like come like on time. And so there's no apprehension whatsoever. So then they told me, like, if they were not here, they would go to at least 15 households, clean their toilets, and then not get paid anything. They would get paid with the leftover chapatis from the previous day. Over here, they don't have to go to like 10 different places. They don't have to clean toilets. And... Second thing, they said that by doing this, we are getting one step closer to the gods. We are doing good work. That somehow became the mission. And uh, I felt that if we can like really help someone do in doing this and change lives, why not? That is how it became uh, the part of the mission. And I believe in this phrase that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. So if you employ women, they will make sure that their kids have a better life. And women give back to their own communities. There's a lot of evidence and data. Which yeah, yeah, 100%. This is 100, 101% correct. You won't believe like, so what we've done is when we uh, like hire anyone, right? The women, they don't have papers. Papers in the sense of uh, they don't have a government ID. So the first thing that we do is we get them a government ID done. We help them get a bank account. And we see that women save money. And we even see the food, the nutrition goes up. When someone starts working with us, generally they don't bring that lunch. Slowly in a week or so, they start bringing in food. And in some months, they start bringing green vegetables, upping their nutrition level. So all of that, we've like seen those very small touch points and which makes the whole difference. So one of the solutions for at least the pesticide part, this pesticide mm -hmm. leaching into the waters. How about organic flowers at the temples? Like, will that be a movement, do you think? 
the flower seller at the temple will say hey i have i think flowers, it's a it's better i i think it's a very long drawn process reason being see as a country we have not even been able to move to organic vegetables something that we are consuming like taking it inside our body organic flowers is a very long process but in my experience when religion comes into the play people are willing to adapt and adopt sooner than everyday life Yeah I agree but the point is it is also about the economics right so we are in the middle of the pandemic it doesn't seem to be abating today is october 28 how has the pandemic affected your supply the number of devotees have probably reduced so let me take you back to march so march was when the complete government ban came down on like moving out of the place which stayed for around two months and at that point of time what was happening was so the government had only allowed the essential commodities but flowers are not under the essential commodities so what was happening was there was no one who was buying flowers the the horticulture farmers they didn't have any option they were either feeding their produce to the cattle or they were just cutting and throwing it away and they were like why didn't i plant maybe a vegetable or maybe even any even a coriander or like mint so that i could have got some money this flower is useless but that point of time what we had done was we had partnered with the district administration and we had sourced or like trained the farmers in and around kanpur to dry their flowers at their farms and get the flowers to our facility and the district administration paid the farmers so at that point of time we had collected in terms of dried flowers i'm talking collected roughly around 600 tons of dried flowers which is good for me to make incense till next year april so you had to be really agile and to say hey how do i help myself and also help the farmers yes 100% sir. like i knew temples wouldn't open up and we didn't know till when this covid is going to prolong and whether people will turn up to temples and i couldn't uh, tell the women that we have to like let go of you so i like really had to use my head at that point in time so you've been a recipient of some very heavy duty awards forbes list 30 under 30 equin green fellow un young leader sustainable development goals how do these awards help you some awards come with certain uh, portion of funding as well which uh, helps the business that's one otherwise what happens these awards help in the marketing aspect of the business and they lend credibility to the work that we do so for example someone who would not talk to me like and uh, on the normal basis but once i let them know that we are on the forbes list or the, we are an echoing green fellow xyz then at least we get that like 2 minute window to like introduce ourselves where can we buy your products do you do d2c or d2d or are there stores or do you sell yeah. at the temples we wanted to be specifically a d2c brand which sells product uh, online basically from our website currently we are shipping only in india we do ship to the us for bulk orders like for example a lot of indians have got their wedding uh, giveaways done from us in the us and we sell a pack of incense every minute the best part is that the incense are completely handmade dipped in essential oils there are no portion of chemicals in it and people actually we love it and because of covid what has happened everyone is moving towards natural and organic product so today we get preference over uh, like a normal incense which is like cheaply priced so how does your price compare so uh, we are priced at roughly around 2 and 1/2 dollars whereas uh, the normal incense you would get at a dollar the reason why the pricing is premium because of the natural essential oil because of the hand roll and the fair wages component and the chemicals they don't leach 
when I burn the incense stick? There is no release of chemicals. No, so everything is removed. So we remove all the pesticides, everything is there, like completely, completely pure. That would have required a lot of research, right? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. you're a techie and then you move to uh, material science or whatever science you would need to make incense sticks. Yeah, so I've like spent one and a half years getting the formulations and everything, right? And like we are a 10-member team out of which six are into like R&D, all from the, the best of the Indian institutes, IIT Bombay, IIT Kanpur, Chennai. Like IIT is the Indian Institute of Technology. They even hold a stake in the company. Like we don't even have an office of our own. We're based in IIT Kanpur. So what are your next goals? What do you, where do you see yourself in three years? So the next immediate goal is Diwali is around the corner to be able to fulfill the orders. That's the immediate goal, the immediate thought in my head. In the next three years, we want uh, our leather to be launched in the market. Uh, we are targeting like the top five fashion brands in the world. That's one. Second is to be able to at least reach a 3000 number uh, in terms of the women we are able being able to employ by the next three years and be present in at least five major temple towns in the country. With those goals, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for coming on Mindful Businesses. Thank you so much, Vidya. It was a pleasure to talk to you. You're welcome. If you're a creator of a mindful brand or would like to recommend a mindful brand to be featured on our show, send us a message on our Instagram or Facebook page. If you learned a thing or two from this episode, share it with one friend. Like, share and subscribe to our social media pages, Mindful Businesses Podcast. We recorded this podcast in Lafayette, Indiana. Tatum Gale composed the music for this podcast. This is Vidya Ayer with Mindful Businesses.